0: Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair with Luxair's consumer rebate program educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more call G team mechanical at 765-376-3042 or visit gteamhvac.com. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. (laughs)
1: This is Trackside with Kirk Cabin and Kevin Lee. Outside, oh, they go side by side outside, into the three. Outside, outside. Coming for outside, the line. Coming outside, for the flag. Outside. Hornets has got a line. But outside, Barron now pushes ahead. Outside, outside. Barron. Outside, Barron takes it. Barron takes the win from second place. Alec Barron has
2: won. Who will win at Kansas? Weldon trying to push Kanan up. Kanan trying to
0: push Weldon down. And the guy that's going to play a role in this is probably Vitor Mira, who will he side on to sort of help Slipstream? As they come out of turn number four, it's Dan Weldon on the inside. Tony Kanan is teammate. Vitor Mira tries to slip to the low side. can he get it done? No! It's Tony Kanan at the line! Hello, welcome. Trackside 93.5, 107.5 The Fan in Indianapolis. Thanks for joining us. Who said December is slow? We're going to have to get at it tonight. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, Josh Mullenix in our studios in downtown Indianapolis coming up on the show. One of the news items we have is a confirmation, at least part of the season for the number 11 Chip Ganassi Racing Team. Marcus Armstrong will be on the show coming up in about an hour or so. Also, some news on the uh, sponsorship front, and really, I think, kind of a cool program. We touched on it, I think, last week around Giving Tuesday. Dean Kessel of uh, the American Legion, he is the chief marketing officer, has been around motorsport for many years, very much involved with uh, several high-level NASCAR programs for sprints and lows. Dean is going to tell us about that program, and we'll just kind of pick his brain a little bit about uh, marketing in motorsport. And we'll give you some gift ideas for favorite books with a motorsport theme so kurt i uh i i'm going to share mine in the second hour with our guest mark dill about his book uh first super speedway and and we'll get into some other ones so i'm going to ask you later on in this hour from some of your favorite motorsport books as well we welcome everyone to the program tonight i don't know where we start i don't even think i have a complete list so let's just get into it about the different things um, and, and I do think, you know, I know there is some industry news today regarding the engine package that's going to come up. I'm not going to take that first because I still think that more of us are interested in the, the drivers and, and things along those lines and what might happen. So I find piquing my interest more since the last time we talked is filling out the grid for next season and the remaining seats for the Indianapolis 500. And there are a couple of twists. And I'm kind of embarrassed that I didn't think of the oval option. I saw David Malsher Lopez write it probably the night of our last show, or maybe it was the next day, that, hey, keep an eye on Takuma Sato for the ovals for Chip Ganassi Racing. So we'll get into that in just a moment. Um You might notice when you mentioned Marcus Armstrong to Dale Coyne, I I kind of was silent. Now, I will say I did not know he was going to Ganassi. I, I didn't know that. Probably should have put that together as well. But that was a a bit of a surprise, but we probably should have seen that coming as an option, especially when you start talking about the budget that was going to be required. And we think he has access to a certain level of budget. I just
1: expected there to be somebody come along with the type of money, whether it was Nicholas Latifi early on. It was going to be somebody who had the budget to run the full Chip Ganassi season. And, And not that we haven't seen Ganassi run a split driver program, but I thought the preference was to have one driver and it felt, it just kind of felt, like I said, felt like one driver for the season, but this makes a lot of sense. If it's Sato on the ovals and Marcus Armstrong on the road and street circuits, um, you know, I think it gives Takuma Sato tremendous odds to win the Indy 500 for a third time with three different teams. This looks like You'd have to put, if you were sitting here today on December, what is this, six, seven? Uh, this is, uh, Takuma Sato's got to be on a short list given how well Chip Kanassi Racing ran in last year's Indianapolis or this year's Indianapolis 500. My goodness, a guy with his experience, he's going to be, be a real contender if that's where this ends up.
0: He's on the list. I don't know how short it is, because it obviously includes the other three Chip Ganassi racing drivers. It's going to include four Aaron McLaren SP drivers. It's gonna probably include one or two uh Andretti drivers, the Ed Carpenter drivers. You know, we keep thinking surely Penske is going to get it together at some point, and their three mega talented drivers are going to be factors. So I I totally agree that he's on that list. I just don't know, and this is what's great. I don't think it's that short. I think it's going to be, depending on who figures it out better, it's potentially going to be eight or ten deep for either that group tier one, tier one A type of situation.
1: But Ganassi's drivers qualified first, second, and fourth, or fifth with the other one right behind it. And Alex Pillow and Scott Dixon should have won that race. I know Marcus Erickson did win that race. But Polo and Dixon were in control of the race when they had the troubles that they did. And then you factor in Takuma Sato's
0: won this twice with two different teams. And it's why we should have seen this possibility coming, knowing that, all right, this seat requires some budget once it got past the point where they could find anyone, one driver to do the whole season. Maybe Latifi didn't want to pay the ten to $12 million asking price. Hey, it. I think it's also possible that Chip Ganassi Racing rates Marcus Armstrong higher than Nicholas Latifi. Uh, You know, I know Latifi has not done well in a Williams car in Formula One. Um, He had some success in the junior formula categories. But I think it's very possible that they might have offered a lower number for Armstrong than they did Latifi. Or if that's the option, they thought, you know what? Uh, Maybe splitting it does make sense if we can keep a favorite Honda driver – in a quality seat and a driver that still has budget. Now, Sato now does not have enough budget as we understand it to do a full season. I don't know what his level of budget is. Uh, and, and it may be easier to find more budget to go to a program where, as you say, he is going to be a legit strong contender for the Indy 500. We all love Dale Coin Racing and, and they have good Indy 500 cars and he could win the race with them. But apples to apples, you know, what, how much higher are the chances for Sato in a Ganassi car compared to a Dale coin car?
1: Yeah, they're, they're, they're significantly higher just because of the results that we even just saw last year. I mean, this really could have been Scott Dixon winning the Indy 500 two or three years in a row. That's how good that program Mm -hmm. is. And I know we rate Scott Dixon at the very top of this of this field in terms of talent and in terms of, of potentially winning the Indy 500. But the fact of the matter is, uh, Takuma's won twice. And so that, that shows he knows how to do it. And honestly, you know, he didn't win in the battle with Dario Franchitti in 2012, but when you go to three corners from the end of the race or four corners from the end of the race, and you are essentially uh neck and neck with the guy who did win the race. I mean you you're uh you're big time company and and uh he's had some outstanding runs. Shoot the the year a couple years ago he he finished essentially three wide uh or right at right within a whisker in third place from winning that race. So he he knows what to do. And I just think I mean I obviously think very highly of him at Indy um uh, and he has shown that um He's as good as anybody in this group, and he could win it again.
0: So when we talk to Marcus Armstrong coming up in an hour, I'm obviously going to ask him, why aren't you doing the full season? Is there interest in doing the ovals? So we'll get into that, and we can discuss after we hear his comments, either at the end of the show or on next week's show as well. A couple of other nuggets. We saw that Sage Karam had some news coming up and as suspected it's not IndyCar related he's going to run a part-time xfinity schedule with alpha prime racing next year likely more than half the races according to i think what bob pochris tweeted uh the first one will be in atlanta so that's good for sage i'm sure uh, an indy 500 possibility is still out there and that would be available if that option comes around i've not heard anything more about the second dryer and reinbold seat uh, that's the one where a Kyle Larson, a Kyle Bush, or a Jimmy Johnson could show up. And I've, I've said, you know, it may, might make some sense for a J.R. Hildebrand or a Charlie Kimball that has some more experience in that seat, but I don't know where that's headed. So there's nothing new as far as I know on that front. Uh, I, I'm, I'm hosting an event at, oh, and by the way, this is kind of a, always a sign that we're getting through winter. PRI the performance racing industry trade show is coming up this weekend it's a trade show it's not a fan event but you always see some motorsport related things and I was asked to host a press conference on Friday morning so I started looking through the list of press events and right after mine it said oh there's a Hunkos Hollinger announcement to announce their two-car lineup and I saw that this morning and I thought Hey, maybe I've got a scoop there and and then I also thought maybe that was booked a month ago, so there's no guarantee that it's going to happen, but I think I've seen I've seen that in a second place. I think I got an email today that there is indeed uh confirmation that there is a junkos Hollinger announcement coming up on Friday to announce their second IndyCar driver.
1: Cuz from an IndyCar standpoint, a full season standpoint, that car, the 78 and the fifty-one of Dale Coyne is are that they, they're the two we're waiting on. I think mm-hmm. I think we have the other what twenty-five, which will get us to twenty-seven if I have my numbers in my I, head correct. I think that's right. So it's going to be a, a tremendous season from a competition standpoint, um, and then we'll just be waiting on a couple of Indy five hundred opportunities to get solidified. To your point about Dryer Reinbold, and I think you made this last week, but I've been stewing on it. They, they ought to just kind of slow play this a little bit, see who really is available, who really wants that ride, because it's, it's going to be one of the, one of the last available, uh, from a standpoint of, of making the Indy 500. So there aren't a lot of other seats out there. And since they're working with some big names to start with, I think slow playing this into the first of the year is what I suspect will happen.
0: And there are plenty of other qualified driver we've talked about that you know the nascar guys are the biggest splash and jimmy who has the one year experience but there are plenty of other very capable drivers out there that if they happen to come up with the budget and the more time you give someone the better chance that happening you know i know dennis Reinbold has said um we're not going to run it if it's not right my thinking is i will be surprised if that car doesn't run because i think with only 34, 35 programs potentially available. Someone is going to want to fill that seat, knowing that it is capable of making the race.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you, and I think uh, I think that that second car is is not a slam dunk, but it's pretty close to it.
0: You know, and it could even be someone like a Montoya, uh, if if there is budget to, to be found. Juan's not going out and pounding the pavement at this point, but that's someone. That, you know, I got the impression from talking to him at Road Atlanta that he might have been a little bit disappointed that he wasn't coming back to Indy. Yeah, you know, he's kind of, it is what it is kind of a guy. So I don't think he's crushed by it, but I, I got the feeling that if a good program made an offer to one that he would be interested in that. And then there are many others out there, you know, Oriel Servia would still like to run the race and has sure. come close to putting a budget together in the last few years. Zach Veach has interest in doing d 500 again and may have some opportunities out there. Um, what about Simone De Silvestro? It doesn't sound like that's an opportunity at Ed Carpenter Racing, and I think they're still talking about doing other races, maybe somewhere else. So that's kind of a strategy that Beth Peretta has to decide, are we better off putting a good chunk of the available budget we have towards the Indy 500, which does get more visibility or do our dollars go farther and can we make a bigger impact? And honestly, also something that, that people I think would think into these things. You know, it's one thing to to get the sticker on the car for the Indy 500, but then you want to bring the guests to the track and show them a good time. It's a lot more expensive to do that at the Indy 500. You can bring more people for the same amount of money, at another race so that's another reason why it's not a no-brainer that you just pool all your money to do the indy 500 because it has the biggest rating sometimes it's better off to bring 50 people to the track and show them a fantastic time rather than just the 10 you can do at the indy 500 for the amount of money that's going to cost um ed jones is still out there that uh, i think has some interest uh who else you know, we haven't even talked about Ryan hunter Ray, and this may go back yeah. to the Ganassi thing. What I don't know is whether Sato is the leading candidate for Ganassi now, because it makes a lot of sense, um, or because Ryan hunter Ray has already agreed to a deal with Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan.
1: I think I think that makes sense, uh, the the latter, but it also factors in Takuma's budget that exactly. Hunter-Reay. That Hunter Ray doesn't have. Yes. Yeah. He, he might have some. I don't think he has Takuma money.
0: As, Could be wrong. As highly as we think of Ryan Hunter Ray and as great as he is, if he brings nothing and Takuma Sato brings you a million dollars, both are Indy 500 winners. And by the way, Sato has actually won twice as many Indy 500s. Hunter Ray has had by far the better overall career. Um and and maybe can help you in development, but boy, I don't know that Ganassi needs a whole lot of development. They're pretty developed at this point. Dollars to dollars, if if one guy is cheaper or is helping cover the budget, that makes sense to go that direction.
1: And if if Sato's running all the oval races, he's bringing more than a million dollars.
0: Yes. Yeah. I was looking at just simply the Indy 500. And that's the other part of it. They'd like to have the same guy in the car for all the oval races. That's, you know, maybe you could find a sponsor for Ryan to do the Indy 500 or allocate some of your other partners, but it becomes a little bit more difficult. Say the other races, you're looking at minimum, you need another million dollars. Yeah. And ideally, I think you'd li- like to have another two million. Plus, you're talking. About the likelihood of crash damage, so um, that that points towards towards saddle making more sense. So hopefully, Ryan Hunter Ray is aligned with um, Ray Hall, Letterman, Landing, and Racing,
1: and they have such a great relationship. Not that Ryan doesn't have them with many teams in the paddock, but but that's a real natural fit.
0: I did find the email by the way on Hukos Hollinger. Noon on Friday is when their Good. announcement is coming, so that that is official. So what's our guess on that front for who's going to be in that car
1: well the Argentine driver is is the mo- most likely I think you that would be the betting favorite wouldn't it
0: I don't know that I'm willing to go there it, it might be but I didn't I don't I'm not
1: sure I'm gonna bet on it anyway but I think if you were if you were Vegas I think that's where you have to set the first the first odds with.
0: So I am likely to be wrong again on this. I'm going to say it's, it's not, uh, Argentine Campino. That's, Uh, that's uh, close. No, Campino's his last name. Augusta. Augusta. Yeah. My guess is it's not him, but I don't really know. Uh, if it's Linus Lundquist, people ask, you know, that would mean that, uh, Brad Hollinger has decided to fund a lot of that ride. That would be the only way he is a full time driver. So, if now it, it's possible that this is not a full time seat, they may just be announcing someone for the Indy five hundred or for a partial season. Who knows? Who knows what that could be? Could it be Ryan Hunter-Reay? Could be. Yeah, they. I think there was an offer for Ryan to run the Indy five hundred with them last year. So maybe. I doubt seems, it. Seems seems doubtful, but I, maybe I, I doubt it because again, somebody's got to pay for that. I know they'd like to have Ryan in the car. Um, I think they'd be more willing to fund Ryan to run the Indy 500 rather than fund him to run the whole season. Calum showed that they're they're pretty good even on their own. So I don't know that you're going to be able to convince Brad to fund a second car when we've already gotten pretty far along the line you know maybe that's an ed jones stingray rob we think has budget i haven't talked to anybody in any of these camps for a little while but those are some of the names that i i think would make the most sense and be possibilities there or are we getting to some of the the various f2 drivers you know it may be somebody in that camp uh yuri vips is a name that i've seen mentioned as someone that has some budget that has some interest in IndyCar. So we will all find out on that coming up on Friday. And then we'll be waiting for Dale Coyne and where things go from here, whether they can find, you know, he's basically now lost. By the way, I don't know that he was locked in on Marcus Armstrong. I don't know where that stood, but he was locked in on Takumisato. So if indeed he does end up at Ganassi, now there's some work to be done for their camp so all the names we just mentioned talk about them for dale coin too and probably some we're not even thinking of because dale is very good about you know looking into super formula and other categories with quality drivers who might have a line on some budgets
1: i kind of like uh the possibility of lundquist in that in that in that uh horizon
0: i guess you'd say (laughs) maybe especially if it's shared Yes, especially that that was the the original hope. And there seemed to be some motivation for Henry Malucas to help the guy that won the championship for him in Indy Lights moving up. But that was when they thought there was a one point two million dollar scholarship. It changed a little bit at five hundred thousand. And that's a, a bigger gap to fill. But I'm still hopeful for Linus being able to find something. So that's where things stand. As I know and understand them right now, I think, probably have left something out on the driver front. So let's get to the other news from today. So this started in uh, an email that I will admit I saw the headline and I just I had a lot going on today and I just kind of moved on. And it wasn't until Nathan Brown tweeted something that I went back and looked at my email. The email was IndyCar continuing path with sustainable leadership in motorsports. And it talks about some of the things that they're doing. OK, we know that. So within that, and by the way, I will credit IndyCar for not doing this on Friday at 4.30, not doing this on Christmas Eve, which they could have. So in some camps, this is being seen as a major negative. Uh, we've been talking about it's already been delayed one year because of the pandemic. Uh Now it's kind of on standby until further notice. So they are moving forward with... Um, a type of and it's it's hard to explain this they're not going to the 2.4 liter engine next the year after next and 24 as planned there is still going to be an energy recovery component, still a hybrid component but it's going to be attached to the current 2.2 liter engine did i get that correct
1: yep you have that okay. right and, okay. and and really the issue is is everything in this program uh in terms of budgets in terms of the work that goes into to making this happen has really been been based on having three manufacturers and having help for Honda and Chevy both in terms of fielding extra cars uh you know Chevy and Honda when you put in the work for the 2.4 liter you know and and the hybrid program you know they they were looking to reduce the number of of uh Engines they provide or offer to competitors, and you know we we talked earlier in the show in this segment twenty seven cars for twenty twenty three you aren't going to have twenty seven cars with uh, with Honda and Chevy going to not only hybrid but also uh, 2.4 2. liters so a new engine and the hybrid component uh, with just two manufacturers apparently became too much of a a hurdle to overcome.
0: This production delays have oh, absolutely. been in, in absolutely. incredibly difficult. So I'll read one of the tweets, which I think is you know kind of a prevailing opinion that the first reaction w- with this was very much gloom and doom. Brian, and what is Brian's handle at... Why won't it show me here at 500 Indy and it won't show me the entirety of it. But Brian, you know who you are. He says, got to dig deep about this 2.4 liter engine coming to a screeching halt. I think I can speak for most fans when the reaction is somewhere between incredibly disappointed and the sky is falling. I'm interested in what driver team reactions truly are to this disappointing news. So I, I think I have a little different perspective because I'm not a techie. I love motorsports for competition. And driver stories uh, and good racing. And while I know these things are important and you have to keep moving forward and you have to satisfy all bases, for me and for me only, I don't care. (laughs) I, I don't care what engine it is. I'm not smart enough to understand the differences of that. Now, I know that's not the, it's not anywhere close to the be all end all because it does matter. And a lot of people do care. So I'm very cognizant of that. But one reason, Why I wasn't getting super-duper excited about this is that the car was going to be much heavier. It was going to take more power to come close to going to the same speed that they were going right now. I think it was going to be quicker, and certainly the hybrid component made it really interesting. So I'm not saying this is a nothing burger. It it is something, and we're disappointed that it's, it's not going to happen. But it's not a crushing blow um how many people watch the indy 500 some years five million so there are you know four million new viewers to the indy 500 that aren't watching the other races those four million don't care what your engine is or most of them don't i don't think this is huge on that front do you need a new engine at some point would you like to have had this happen yes yes But there are a lot of things that are out of their control. Now, here's the second part. You touched on this. And I don't know how much we've said of this on the show, but it was very well known within the paddock that um, a day of reckoning was going to come in 2024 without a third engine supplier and all of these new power plants. So here is the bright spot out of this, if you want to call it negative news. I think there were going to be 24 cars. Maybe they would have gotten away around that. But what I've been hearing since the summer was nobody wants to say anything, but uh, they're going to cut down to 12 each. Now, potentially you don't have to do that. Maybe there is a way that you find a third engine partner and you roll it out all together, because I think that's a little bit easier to convince someone when they are in the timeline of, of, of a new engine. So, I'm not going to tell you this is great and it's nothing. It does matter and it's disappointing, but I'm not going to say that they've totally dropped the ball in this because it sounds like a lot of the things that were happening or not happening are not things that they can specifically do anything about.
1: I I think you've hit it pretty well. And, and I I was not, I was not uh, feeling great about the day of reckoning that you brought up as you described it. I mean, We've seen incredible growth in the participation of not only teams, but drivers, jobs in the sport, uh, sponsors in the sport. And that momentum is real and the fans feel it. And so I'm glad that train can keep rolling down the path because and- that's having more cars is, is significant. It's, it's more people. It's more to root for it's more to root against if that's your if that's your cup of tea but it's more on the racetrack and i think that's important
0: and i think some people are disappointed that there wasn't a timeline that it's not a one year delay i get that you already delayed it one year let's just say it's paused for now and here's the other part of that and i think i've heard jay fry and others talk about this when they were making these decisions a few years ago that this is all very fluid as to What's preferred? You know, how much electric hybrid is is the combustion engine going to be something that, hey, that's really unique. We need to go all in on that. It's really hard to predict what the manufacturers are going to want two and three years out. So maybe this just has an opportunity to let's do a rethink. Let's ask Honda and Chevy what they like. Let's talk to the other people, presuming they are talking to some people. All right. We've got a white sheet of paper again. What would you like us to do? Hybrid to me makes sense. I'm not very smart, but electric, full electric always scares me. Just, just for me, buying a car. I'm not buying a full electric car because I might want to drive it a long way where I'm not, I don't want to have to map out where all these energy plants are to be able to recharge along the way. Hybrid makes a lot of sense when I'm driving in town. Fantastic. Electric. But I want to have the ability to put good old fossil fuels in the car and gasoline if I'm driving to Road America and I'm in the middle of nowhere or something like that. But that's a tangent. So I don't know what the technology is, but that might be one reason why they have not said what exactly the plan is, because let's uh, re-canvas and decide what we want to do and what we think is best next.
1: Well, Jay Fries, you know, he, he he works from his five-year plan and it rolls uh, one year over to the next and he'll have a plan he just he didn't announce a, a plan you know a, a date at this point but i'm sure i'm sure he's got uh wheels of turning so we'll, we'll see what comes of it
0: okay much more to get into uh coming up we've got uh rolex 24 testing with a lot of Car drivers there including a couple of very significant drivers that are New to the sports car scene, we'll get into that. And we'll reconvene and go down the list of other things that we need to talk about. Plus, Marcus Armstrong of Chip Ganassi Racing is coming up tonight. Trackside 93.5, 107.5 The fans.
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
0: It's December, but the news ferry continues to deliver A lot of things going on. And by the time we talk again next Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, we'll have more news at Kevin Lee 23 If you have something for us on social media, if we miss it tonight, we'll try to circle back to it next week. Marcus Armstrong is coming up in a little bit. Another guest in our number two. You know, in the middle of winter, we got a lot of things going on. We had uh, groundbreaking today. For the new Andretti Autosport Global headquarters, north of Indianapolis and in Fishers, all the big wigs were out there. Those were cool to see. Those pictures on social media.
1: I think this is going to be a fabulous facility, based on on the projections that we've seen or the tease that we've received about what it looks like. And you put that with the new Ray Hall facility, which I haven't been to yet, but it looks looks really nice. And you know, Aro McLaren SP is going to do one uh, really nice. We've had race shops in Indianapolis for those that, that uh, don't come around or don't have the opportunity to see the race shops here in Indy. They've not really been showcase facilities in terms of the you know public portion of it. Mm-hmm. you know they've they've obviously been very good in terms of servicing the needs of an IndyCar team but I think you're going to see the level raised uh, exponentially with these three and it's going they're going to be showpieces.
0: I think they're potential revenue producers. Not enough to pay for the the building, but you know, think of it in terms of like the Delara facility. Fantastic facility, and I believe you can rent that out. Uh, yes. And and people do corporate outings there, corporate parties, because the footprint is fantastic. It's in a great location. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody thinks about doing that. It may take a sp- special circumstance. Maybe you have to know someone, um, you know, because there's other things involved of renting out your facility unless you want to really be equipped to do that. But these are going to be nice enough places. And I suspect have big enough lobbies where you can really entertain your people. But even if you don't do that, just the opportunity to showcase that and make that an extra incentive for all of your partners. When they come in for the GP or the Indy Five Hundred, we're all doing something at the shop, and it's not a shop anymore.
1: Well, the McLaren facility, for example, in Formula One, we won't see that level, but it will it will at least be an equivalent, comparable. Does that make sense? It'll it'll be a, a downsized version, but it will yeah. be very nice. They will not do it uh, without without having a McLaren stamp of approval. And the Andretti facility isn't a race team shop. This is going to be a showcase for the family. You know, this is, this is going to have Andretti written all over it. And so, you know, they're going to have a lot of, a lot of memorabilia to showcase trophies, accomplishments. It's going to be very
0: nice. I'm convinced. So we had that going on today, and we've also got race cars at Daytona. A lot of IndyCar drivers are down there as well. So this is significant for and the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, because they have new cars in their top class. It's now called the GTP class with the uh, the LMDH cars, and mostly they're just trying to make them last. And I, I saw a quote from Sebastian Bourdais, hey, this may be back like to the old days. The one that can go 24 hours is going to be the one that wins. I suspect that we'll see five or six out of the nine top class cars. But there have been, from what I hear, some real teething pains and some concerns in the testing from the summer and the fall. But that's going on, uh, yesterday and was finishing up today. Actually, I think it's still going on tonight. I think there's a night practice at Daytona. It's, you know, just over a month before the roar, before the Rolex 24. And we got some interesting news yesterday. A couple of very prominent Indy car drivers are going to be there doing their first sports car races. Uh, Scott McLaughlin has done a little bit of sports car racing in the past, I think, and is more familiar with that type of, of racing. But this is going to be all new for Joseph Newgarden in an LMP2 program. So this is the step below the top class, but these are still downforce, high-level race cars.
1: Did you mention uh, Kiffin Simpson will be in that program as well? Uh, th- uh, three drivers that uh, that IndyCar fans uh, know quite quite well, and there'll be a fourth driver, the the uh, the, the owner of the program. So there's the four, and uh, yeah, you're going to see. It's going to be interesting to watch Joseph and Scott in this situation.
0: John Ferrano is the other driver. He was the, the full-time driver of the, the Tower Motorsports team is the program, and they won the championship last year. Ferrano was, uh, the quote, gentleman driver of that group. So this would be, this is a similar program to remember what Colton Herta, Pato Award, and Devlin Francesco did last year. Same class, LMP2. And if this thing doesn't break, they are going to be tough to beat because they've got, Two platinum drivers. Kiffin Simpson is a quality driver. Still a very young driver, but he has some sports car experience in the GTD category. Uh, and then John Ferrano is a competent gentleman driver as well. So that's cool. It's one more thing to watch uh, when we think about when the IndyCar season starts and sports cars to help tide us over. Romain Grosjean is also going to be there. He was named a factory Lamborghini driver either early this morning or late last night. He's going to be in the GTD class this year, and then he is going to be testing for their top-class program starting in 24. He's going to run the Rolex. I think he's going to run some other endurance races this year and can do that next year. No, this is not necessarily a sign that he's leaving IndyCar at the end of this year. He can still do both of those programs, but it potentially could be TBD because they have not named their full-season Lamborghini top-class driver, so this may be a... It'd be interesting to hear from him, uh, but I I believe he's probably out of contract at the end of this year, so he may decide and see how it's going. Does it go better than it did last year if it's not going well? If I don't have a ride that I'm going to be hired for, this may be a backup plan where he can still do full-time racing at a pretty high level. But it's very, it's very possible to do both of these programs to some extent together.
1: And he told, I, I think I saw Nathan Brown tweet it out, but uh, he he said that this was not taking priority over IndyCar in any shape or form. So uh, we'll see, Ramon, and let's hope it goes well for him this year.
0: I think we've got all the Andretti drivers that are going to be accounted for. They're That's are going to right. be at the Rolex right. 24, although I don't know that Devlin DeFrancesco's has been confirmed, but I would suspect he would do something. Um, I talked to Jimmy Vassar at Petit Le Mans. He said, Kyle Kirkwood, will would be back as, as the Lexus endurance driver. So he'll be back in there. So, uh, that's good. That gives us more of a presence and some things to talk about in, in January as well. Uh, where do we want to go? Oh, you know, something I wanted to bring up. So I, I answered a Twitter question last week and I honestly didn't do a ton of research on it, but there were some angry emails and a couple of tweets sent to me and many other things posted on social media. And there was an article written about the outrageous ticket prices for Iowa Speedway and how they went up so much. And, you know, we saw the evidence that was mentioned with these particular customers and say, okay. and I think my general response was the market will decide if that strategy works. You know, basically every product is sold for as much as someone thinks they will pay for it. And you've got other concerns involved here and in other categories. And that's a different discussion. But I just wanted to point out that a, a couple of other uh, friends texted me and said, hey, I don't know what these people are talking about, but I just renewed my same seats. And it was actually 7% less than last year because we got in on the early bird special. Another friend said, yep, my tickets were the same as well. Camping was the same as last year. So I did pull up a map. And what it looks like is that the tickets closest to the stage did go up pretty significantly. Uh, And and this would, by reason, be the people that are there to see the concerts and the concerts for Ed Sheeran and Carrie Underwood and who else? Two other really big bands. Zach
1: Brown band, Uh Kenny Chesney.
0: And Kenny Chesney. The prices to book them, I'm sure, was higher. So the theory here may be the people that want to see these bands are going to want to not be in turn two, they're going to want to be near the start-finish line. But I looked at some other prices, and I'll admit I didn't compare them to last year. But moving further down towards turn one or towards turn four, they were much more reasonable. You know, they're more in the $100 range than the $250 or $300 range. I'm not going to say that a lot of people's tickets didn't go up. But I would just encourage people to do a little bit of research before you just say, I'm done with them. I'm never coming back. I think it is still possible to find a ticket. Uh, it's it's a strategy, and I don't know what the right one is because I, I get it. Some race fans are like, I, I just want to go see the races. I don't care about the concerts. But as mentioned, we've tried that before, and it didn't work. So everyone wants IndyCar to try things. Something is being tried here, and you might be able to create some new fans Out of these people coming, I had a thought that, well, maybe a concert works better if it's in a a big city. And then I thought, no, that's not right. Because if you do that at the Detroit race or Long Beach, which they do have concerts, but somewhere, then people are going to come just for the concert and leave. Here, they've driven at least 45 or 50 minutes outside of Des Moines or wherever they're coming from. So they are more likely to say, all right, I'm here. Let's watch this IndyCar race and see what it's all about, and hopefully we discover some new fans.
1: I would also point out that if you are going just for the race, then you should consider sitting in Turn 1, because I think Turn 1 at Iowa yes. is the most enjoyable seat I had all of, of the time I've been covering this sport. I loved it sitting down in Turn 1 at Texas, at Iowa, any place where those come through the dog leg and then come right at you,
0: barreling down into Turn 1. It's a great seat. I don't know how this would work, but one thought I have if you wanted to try to satisfy everyone is maybe in the future you do big concert on Saturday, and that's a high price ticket. So for the people that are coming just to see uh, these concert acts and get a race with it, have that option. And then maybe Sunday is only racing. And if you are on a budget and you're like, I'm not going to go – I'm not interested in these concerts. I only want to see a short oval race. Maybe Sunday is the option, but if you're going to pick a day for the concerts, I think it's Saturday because that encourages people to come and spend the entire weekend. Spend the entire yes. weekend, and, and then maybe put the Indy Lights race on Sunday instead of on Saturday.
1: But then you're not having uh, those newbies watch an Indy car race because they not won't stay they, for Sunday.
0: But but you would on Saturday. I, I'm saying you still do a double header. You still oh, have you still an do a double header. Okay, still do a double header, but maybe just one day is concerts. And it's only two acts instead of four, because that's a gargantuan amount of money. I don't know what the right answer is. Um, it, it's all an experiment, and 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 I like that they're trying something. So uh, we'll, we'll see how it works out. But that's, that was my point. Let, let's just um, see what the other options are before you immediately dismiss that. All right, got some other news we want to get into in just a moment. Stay with us. Trackside
3: 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
0: Okay, just a couple of minutes in this segment. We're not going to come close to covering everything in the first hour I wanted to. We're pretty heavy in guests for hour two, starting with the new Ganassi driver, uh, Chip Ganassi, uh, with the new Ganassi driver, Marcus Armstrong coming up. Uh, I was looking for the actual release to see how it was worded. And actually, there probably wasn't a release. It was probably just a report. But people have been asking hey, IndyCar um is looking for a new top marketing director. I don't know what SJ's title was. You may know what it was, Kurtz.
1: Yeah, vice president of marketing.
0: And I, I would say this I am friends with SJ, and I'm not 100% certain how to pronounce her last name. I think it was Lewetke, but I will admit I am not 100% certain of that. So apologies to SJ. Well, she grew up at Road America. So you have a
1: little a little uh, northern or central Wisconsin twang in there. So it's fine. She she appreciates it.
0: So I'm going to put you on the spot. You work with her. You probably, I guess, technically work for her. Can you pronounce her last name correctly?
1: Well, we've just called her SJ. I've worked alongside
0: her. See, and, it's and, not and all,
1: You just call her. But I, I believe it's Lucky.
0: Lucky. okay. So uh, I don't know what the reaction is out of this. But what I would say from this, I, I think you have to be there to know how someone is doing the job. And, you know, I cringe a little bit when I see, oh, this is, you know, that uh, uh, yeah, we finally made a change. We have to have this happen. I don't know whether SJ was good at her job or not. I will say this. I think S.J. is very smart. I suspect she's very good at her job. And and I like S.J., but I'm not there. I don't know what's going on internally, just like I don't know what the football coach is doing internally or a basketball coach. I was always reluctant to really make uh, strong comments on those. But a lot of people are happy to see that there's going to be a change. And, you know, unfortunately, I think that's kind of the nature of the beast. When you are the top person, uh, and especially something like marketing, which is a little bit difficult to ascertain how it's working and there are other aspects involved, like what kind of budget do you have to work with? Somebody has to sign off on everything. It's hard to say who is responsible for what. So that's why I I don't know. by, By the way, I also don't know whether she left on her own or she was asked to leave. That's something that is between uh sj and her employers so with that you do get a new face coming in at some point and this will be an important hire as they all are and the next person will be tasked with trying to come up with ideas stay within budget and see what you can do to move it to the next level but i wish sj luck i suspect she won't have a hard time finding a new job i think she'll probably be employed very, very soon, and I hope we see her down the road, because she wasn't just someone that just came into IndyCar. As you mentioned, she had worked in IndyCar many years ago and had history and a love for the sport. So we wish SJ well as she moves on to her next venture, and we'll wait for further news on the IndyCar world. Summed up pretty well. Yeah, what I didn't I suspect her. you had a lot to say there, so I thought... No, no, I'd come no. I, you. I have a, I,
1: there are a lot, to, a lot I'd like to say. Uh, SJ is a friend, and, and we work very closely together, And and you're right. She's... She's um, very smart and very talented, and she came from Nike, and and uh, she has an Andretti background from years ago. She's a Road America lover of all. There's no one who loves Road America more than SJ, and, and uh, yeah, she'll be missed.
0: All right, we'll get hour number two going, and Marcus Armstrong, the new driver for Ganassi, up next on Trackside. Thanks for staying with us. It's hour number two of Trackside, 93.5, 107.5. The fan in Indianapolis, Kevin Lee, and the newest driver in the NTT IndyCar Series announced last week, Marcus Armstrong will be in the number 11, Chip Ganassi Racing Honda on the road and street courses. He's a 22-year-old from New Zealand that has four F2 wins over the last three years. He has an Italian F4 championship, uh, I think four more wins in F3 as well. And has a, a lot of connections in the IndyCar paddock. Marcus, it's nice to meet you. Welcome to America. You are in America right now. Is that right?
4: Yeah, thank you. Um, I arrived two days ago to Indianapolis. So uh, it's, been, uh, it's been pretty cool. I obviously got to meet the team and um, it's fantastic to be here with um, so many experts of IndyCar and and just generally extremely excited for the upcoming season.
0: I know it's not your first time in America because you tested recently with Dale Coyne's team, but before that, had you been to America? What's your experience on this side?
4: Yeah, I I raced in karting uh, in Vegas at the Super Nationals in 2013, I believe. Um, I actually competed against Paso Award and Kyle Kirkwood, and I might miss a few names, but there were were plenty of guys um, at that event. And then obviously I've come to America for holidays and and whatnot since and i've always loved the the vibe and the culture and just generally how everyone's so friendly and welcoming so um on the sporting side it's incredibly uh, it's amazing to be here just because i've been watching this championship from a young age and more specifically i've been watching scott dixon dominate since i was about three years old so um yeah again extremely excited
0: So you've kind of touched on some of that as well, but let's get into it from the basic question. What attracted you to IndyCar? When did you start thinking about this might be an option for a switch for me?
4: I've always been attracted to the championship. Um, As I said, I've been watching it since I was very young. And I think more recently, what's been the most attractive factor of this championship is just how competitive it is and how close the racing is. Everyone's at a Extremely high level. You can see that just by looking at the timesheets. Everyone's within the tenth, or you know, often uh, you know the 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 fast six. They're uh, within half a tenth. So um, I think that just from a from a competition standpoint, it's very attractive. And um, yeah, it was the right time for me to come. It's uh, you know, obviously, I spent so many so many years in Europe trying to get to F one. And, um, but I would be lying if I, if I didn't say that IndyCar was, was genuinely, um, in my heart because of the fact that I've been watching it since I was young. So, um, I'm finally here. And like I said, the time is right.
0: Um, you, as I mentioned, tested with Dale Coyne, there are openings at Hukos Hollinger. There are, your name was attached to a few other things. I don't know that it was mentioned that much with the Ganassi situation until recently. How did this come together?
4: Yeah, it was the best kept secret, and I'm happy that I can finally talk about it. Um, but yeah, I uh, I tested last month and got to grips with the car and got to experience it for the first time, and it was it was everything that I expected. Obviously, I knew that the car was an animal and um, very reactive, and obviously very powerful as well. So on that side, um, I didn't underestimate it, and it, it certainly doesn't didn't disappoint. So um, and then. To get the the seat here in uh, Chip Ganassi Racing, it's uh, yeah, it was um, it wasn't like it was you know a long time coming because it sort of came up reasonably late, but um, at the same time um, I was incredibly excited once I heard the news and once there was the possibility of driving here, um, I tried to take the opportunity with both hands and here I am.
0: Marcus Armstrong is joining us, new Chip Ganassi racing driver in the number 11 on the road and street courses. What did you think of the car? What kind of challenge is that going to be from what you've been used to?
4: Yeah, F2, it's not it's not awfully dissimilar to Formula 2 in the sense that uh, the downforce level and, and the general speed of the car is quite similar, but there are a few nuances of IndyCar that I'm obviously yet to master. Obviously, I needed one day, but my first impressions were um, that the tire is very forgiving compared to what I'm used to in Europe. Mm. Uh, often the Pirelli tire is very temperature sensitive, and that was probably maybe the most positive thing about the test at Sebring was sort of just you can really push the car hard and not be limited by the tire. So that um, excites me a lot. And then, like I said, the the power from the bottom bottom end, the torque is very strong, and um, so. Wheel spin control and and that is quite important compared to formula two and uh yeah, physically it's not massively dissimilar, like I said um, the steering is obviously heavy, um, but I felt like with the the seabring track in particular, my heart rate was extremely high throughout the run, so that was a bit more intense than what I was used to.
0: you know I remember talking with Christian Lungard, who you've raced with before and been teammates before after his first weekend in the summer of twenty one and he was massively quick immediately. And then in the race, now one, he was dealing with uh, food poisoning, so that it impacted him. But I remember him saying, I-, I didn't expect that you had to push that hard the entire time. It was like running almost qualifying laps the entire time. Have you already talked with people like Callum Ilott, uh, who I think was your roommate? I think he told me that at one point. And Christian yeah. and some of the other people that you know.
4: Yeah, I've spoken to Callum quite a lot about it and Christian as well. I, I remember speaking to him in Sochi straight after his first experience in IndyCar and he was absolutely raving about it. You know, he was probably the best, um, salesman for IndyCar that I've ever met. Mm. Um, basically just saying that you can properly slide the car and push it hard, which as a racing driver, you want to do. And then also Callum has said the similar, similar things, um, that it's extremely physical during the race. Because in F2, we have so much tyre degradation that the steering effort just drops off dramatically after the first couple of laps just due to the tyres going off. Whereas in IndyCar, it's, there is a, a level of degradation, but it's nowhere near what we're used to. So physically, it's very demanding in the race, just because you do need to push and the tyre um, can last.
0: I would assume you had some options, and you've talked about Watching Scott Dixon since you were three years old, so maybe that plays into it a little bit. That it's nice to be his teammate. Did you know him before? Have Have you ever met him?
4: Yes, I I know Scott. Um, I've met him a couple of times. I even came to Nashville in twenty twenty one to watch the race. Um, and he invited me into the Chip Ganassi Racing trucks, and I actually met a few people. Oh, nice. So, um, yeah, Scott is uh, he's always been. Um, I think the blueprint for all Kiwi racing drivers, just in the sense that he's been so consistently successful throughout the last, well, 20 years. Um, but I'm looking forward to talking to him in, in more depth about, you know, IndyCar in particular. And, um, also my, my two other teammates, um, Marcus, the other Marcus and Alex, they've obviously achieved some, some incredible things in this championship as well. So, I feel like I'm in a very fortunate position where I can learn from these guys and try and hit the ground running.
0: Yeah, by the way, uh, Dixon is not just the standard for Kiwi drivers. He's pretty much the standard for all drivers at this point. And, and the amazing opportunity you have, you know, hey, the other guys uh, are champions. You know, Alex Pillow is a series champion. Um, Erikson has won the Indy 500 and competed the last couple of years. How much are you going to bug them like Alex Pillow admits that he did when he first got there?
4: I think they're going to be annoyed by the amount of questions I have. <laughs> um, I yeah, I sort of want to ask the right questions, definitely. But I also want to understand the car for myself because obviously Alex did a season with um, Dale Coin Racing before coming here to so Chip Ganassi Racing, so he did have some level of experience. Um, you know, he knew the tracks, for example. So, I mean, I don't want to sort of. Already cloud my judgment and try and have a pre-existing expectation. So, um, but certainly, yes, I do want to ask as many questions as possible. Um, but it's important that I drive the car first and understand what it's all about.
0: Uh, this is a road and street course program only, so no ovals for this season. Uh, take me through the thought process on this plan.
4: Yeah, um, I mean, if it was up to me, I would be—I'd be doing the ovals. I love the idea of it. It's something that has always been of interest to me. Um, And and obviously, I haven't done it before, so it would be sort of like starting from zero in that sense. Um, But certainly in the future, it's something that I want to do. And saying that, just doing the road courses and street courses, um, I'm fortunate to to have that opportunity and showcase my talent. And, yeah, let's see in the future, and hopefully I'm doing ovals.
0: You wouldn't be the first that's come over here and done just road courses and then come on and and eventually done ovals and done – quite well at them. And and I would think from someone that's never done an oval, it's got to be challenging. You're learning the car, the series, the other drivers, and then learning oval racing. Now, at least if and when you do that in 2024, you'll know the series, the procedures, the cars and everything else. I would think that would help the transition.
4: Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think as well, hopefully I'm lucky enough to attend the Indy 500 um, next year, just to sort of see how everything is and experience the whole vibe of the event because by all accounts, it's the most amazing uh, race in the world. I mean, everyone I've met here is just raving about that race. Um, So I I do want to experience it even from a fan's perspective. Um, And obviously I would like to be driving and I'm sure I'll rock up on race day and wish I was driving, Um, but it's going to be helpful to experience it and see how the drivers tackle that event um, and all the rest of it.
0: Where have you been living, and will you move to America for the year, or are you going to try to com- commute a little bit?
4: I have been living in London. Um, so this year I was living in London, and the previous five years I was living in Italy. I uh, spent, as you said, a couple of years living with Callum Eilock, um cleaning up after him and doing his dishes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, we'll,
0: we'll get some stories later on.
4: <laughs> you'll hate me saying that. That's okay. Um, <laughs> And now I will be moving to Indianapolis. So it's a it's a new environment for me. And I haven't yet discovered the city properly. I'm still jet lagged, but I'm keen to have a wee look around in the next couple of days. Well,
0: it's great to have you in not only in America, but here in Indianapolis. And we look forward to seeing you uh, officially, I guess, in early February when we get uh, testing started out in California and then at St. Pete in March. Marcus Armstrong will be in the number 11, Chip Ganassi Racing Honda. It's nice to meet you, Marcus. Thanks so much.
4: Thank you very much. See you soon. That was one of the...
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
0: Big announcements last week and, and another one yesterday that I think is significant. I think most of the people that listen to this show understand that because race cars don't get on the track without sponsors. So it was a significant... Uh, partnership announcement yesterday and plus for another reason uh, and i think this program is unique because i think we all feel that anything that helps those that served our country is a very very good thing chip Ganassi racing and the american legion announced a multi-year partnership extension that includes primary sponsorship for alex polo on the number 10 and also uh, including other Chip Ganassi Racing IndyCar drivers, including Marcus Erickson, and development driver Kiffin Simpson, who drives in what was Indy Lights, now is the Indy Next Series and they are uh, an official partner of IndyCar as a charity arm. We've talked about that before. And a cool auction we're going to get into with things that you really can't purchase coming up in a little bit. Dean Kessel joins us now. He's the chief marketing officer at the American Legion. So we're going to talk about a few things here, not only this program, but I think you're a good person to talk to about the business side of motorsports because you have spent a career in sports marketing at places like R.J. Reynolds and Lowe's and Sprint's. Uh, in general, what can motorship partnerships do for brands from the consumer side of thing? No matter what it is, whether it's a consumer product or a nonprofit like the American Legion.
2: Sure. Well, Kevin, thank you for having having me on today. I'm, I'm excited to to chat with you about the things we've got going on, and excited about the extension of our relationship with. Uh... Chip Ganassi and his team, and and uh, all those uh, drivers that you just mentioned. So, um just from a sort of a fundamental perspective and a sponsorship perspective, you know, the I think the, the lure and attraction of motorsports and particularly IndyCar is that it's, it's very dynamic. It is not static. You know, you're not buying a billboard, you're not buying a TV spot per se, where you only have thirty to sixty seconds. You can really activate around a sponsorship that comes to life. You know, I used to. I used to talk about, you know, if you could put your, if you could put your logo on the side of the, of a, of, you know, the Indianapolis Colts helmet, you would do it, right? Because it kind of comes alive from that standpoint. So this is what we get to do in motorsports. You know, it becomes the American Legion number 10 car driven Mm -hmm. by Alex Blow. Uh, and, and you just can't get that in a lot of other, uh, ventures, even from a marketing standpoint. So the fact that you can, it is dynamic, that it's not static, that you can activate it, you can, um, leverage it internally and externally. So not only with your employees, in our case, our membership from the American Legion, but also, you know, motorsports fans uh, across the country as well. So that's really the big attraction. And I think it's very efficient. You know, you mentioned, you know, when I was with Lowe's, um, you know, we were just starting to, you know, compete on a national level with Home Depot. I mean, they were the big, big box store. And we were sort of converting our, our store structure from a small local thing to a big box. And it, it, our relationship with, uh, with NASCAR at the time and then what we did with Jimmy Johnson for 17 years, um, really turned into a very efficient media buy. We couldn't buy a billion dollars worth of advertising at that time that, that Home Depot was buying. So this was motorsports let us do some things. In market, as we were growing, uh, our store footprint was growing at the same size that NASCAR was going to. So back in that day, it was Vegas was a new market, Texas was a new market, hmm. same new markets that we had from a store standpoint. So we just got very smart with our with our marketing spend, and candidly, that's what we're doing with what we're, how we spend the money here. I mean, at the end of the day, we're a nonprofit, so you know we're very very intentional with the dollars we spend and, and how we go to market with things. And this is really a Uh, Pardon the pun, but it's a vehicle for us to really extend our voice and extend our mission uh, and amplify the things that we're doing. That and Chip, and you know, last year with Tony Canon, or last two years with Tony and Jimmy Johnson, I mean, it just exceeded all of our expectations. So, um, extending this and and having a deeper relationship with you know, not only the fan base, but you know, the entire paddock um, has really been powerful for us.
0: So, your background is obviously more on the NASCAR side. Was the entry for the American Legion in IndyCar simply the chance to work with Jimmy Johnson?
2: It was part of it, Kevin. It really was. You know, I, I had uh, I had signed Jimmy uh, back in the early two thousands at Lowe's. Uh, then I left I left Lowe's to go work for ESPN for a number of years and then back to the sport when uh, running the Sprint Cup series when it was next out in sprint. Um, but really that, that was the big thing. You know, I had worked with Jimmy before. And when I came to the American Legion, it'll be three years in April. I was looking for something to change the conversation about our organization. The American Legion is 103 years old and we've been serving veterans, you know, for over a century. Um, but frankly, we kind of needed something, a new, a new injection of some energy here and some things to attract ourselves to a new generation of veterans, uh, and, and military and the donating public at large. So, You know, when I heard that Jimmy was coming over to IndyCar, I uh, picked up the phone and called uh, Chip and and his team and said, look, I I can't do what Carvana eventually ended up doing, but I can certainly do something. And we would really like to have, you know, be a part of what Jimmy's going to do. You know, I I positioned it as, you know, internally with my board of directors is, you know, when Jimmy came into IndyCar, I really felt like he was going to be, you know, If not the most popular, one of the most popular drivers, you know, day one walking into the the paddock for the, for his first race. So it wasn't so much about, we weren't really concerned about, well, where's Jimmy going to finish? We were like, look at, look at what Jimmy brings to the table here, to the sport. I mean, a whole NASCAR audience, you know, he's, he's already proven himself, um, in the world of motorsports and and we get to ride along with his dream to compete in IndyCar. So that was, that was a big catalyst for us to do it. But secondarily, Kevin, you know, when you look at, you know, from a marketer's perspective, you want to, you want to put your, put your resources where your audience is. And we know, you know, um, unequivocally that, um, you know, uh, veterans and in particular active duty military love motorsports. So we knew it indexed very high. So we, we we knew we were going to put our resources in an area that was going to be very beneficial to us and going after the audience we want. Because we are, at the end of the day, we're a membership organization. So our business model is not very complicated. You know, we, we, we're primarily members. We have about 1.7 million members across the country and, and looking to grow that. Um, we take donations, you know, because we are a nonprofit. That's the other piece of it. And then we look for, you know, uh, B2B partnerships. You know, how can we work with the whole IndyCar paddock, you know, think in terms of Honda and some of the other, and, and Firestone, and those brands there, you know, they have an interest in supporting military causes as well. So that, those were sort of the, the big pillars that we looked at in evaluating it from a sponsorship standpoint, and um, it, has, it has delivered across all those fronts for us thus far.
0: Dean Kessel is joining us, the Chief Marketing Officer at the American Legion. So, Jimmy gets you to IndyCar, but I think this speaks to IndyCar because Jimmy is not with Chip Ganassi, at least at the moment. He is not. And not only are you still involved, it sounds like the program is growing. It's bigger next year, yes?
2: It is. It is. So, you know, we've we've taken an approach that's really interesting. Working with uh, Chip and his team um, from the sponsorship side, you know, we've kind of taken a Uh, We're going to, we're going to sponsor the Ganassi organization versus the traditional model of one driver, one sponsorship. Um, there's some merits to both approaches, but where we have really uh, found some incredible value is, you know, being a Ganassi partner. So, you know, like last year we had, we worked with Alex a little bit last year as well tony canaan jimmy johnson next year we've got you know uh, alex and we've got marcus and you know you mentioned uh at the top here you know kiffin simpson and his development activities we're 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 excited to be a part of that whole organization so not just necessarily one one aspect of it with one driver and you know you mentioned we we sort of are doubling down and making it bigger Our, our first two years were all about hey we're the american legion And we want you to think a little bit differently about who we are and what we do. And this is what we do. So it was an awareness campaign. And then we tried to localize it last year. um, Also doing our deal with IndyCar to be an official charity partner with them as well. So now what we want to do, you know, moving forward is really kind of develop those, you know, B2B um, relationships inside the paddock. And then from a local standpoint, you know, we just really want in the midway, per se, we just want to work with veterans, you know, and, and thank veterans and offer veterans, you know, an opportunity to get a a, a a cold bottle of water or, you know, some sort of, uh, uh, station there on site where, you know, veterans can come in and we can, we can thank them for what they've done for the organization. You know, one, one thing that was pretty interesting last year, Kevin, I'll, if, if I may, we had, uh, uh, you know, we learned every weekend that we were out in the paddock, you know, with our footprint last year. And uh, we started, we have about about 3,200 what we call veteran service officers across the country. And if a veteran has a claim against the VA on appeal, we can help them with that. So last year alone, we were able to help veterans get a little over $12 billion. That's B, $12 billion of benefits from the veterans administration. So the VA, so we... So we started bringing the service officer to the racetrack, um, just just sort of accidentally the first time. And then people wanted to come in and say, hey, I've got this issue. Can you guys help me with? And then we were able to kind of point them. So, you know, our sort of our mission at the Legion at the is really around help. You know, how can we help veterans find a job? How can we help veterans with their benefits? How, how can we help their families? You know, and as you know from what we did last year, our, our biggest thing we're working on right now is the, uh, the horrible, um, you know, veterans are, are, are dying at 17 veterans a day. So the suicide rate is is horrible. And, and that's a big thing for our entire organization to see how we can, how, how we can help mitigate that.
0: Yeah. The be the one campaign has been Correct. fantastic to, uh, to kind of make people aware of that and, and do what we can to help our veterans. So you mentioned Kanan and Jimmy Johnson, fantastic spokespersons. They're no longer with the organization. I suppose Jimmy could be, but I believe another driver is going to be on the ovals in the number eleven car. Can you still do anything with those two guys? Are they still a part of the program?
2: We can. So it, 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 part of the program, in quotes, per se. Uh, you know, they're they're both not. You know, about TK moving, moving over to the McLaren deal next year for the Indy Five Hundred, and then um, Jimmy has now got an ownership stake in the NASCAR world. Um, and I, I don't know what's going to be announced on the 11th for the Oval. So that's, that's, I'm not privy to those conversations. That's okay. How, however, <laughs> um, you know, um, we, we have had a working relationship. So after the season this year, we supported, uh, Tony in his effort to complete in the, uh, the Ironman championship. in yeah. So the American Legion was his sponsor for that. And, and the reason that we did that was so that Tony could continue to talk about mental health, you know, physical health. Is mental health, and you know him. You know at you know at his age, you know, which is not old, but still completing a a, a, an Ironman in the World Championship in Kona, Hawaii, is a is a big deal. So we were able to support him with that, uh, which was good for our folks. And then Jimmy made a uh, at our national convention in Milwaukee last year. uh, Jimmy made a one point five million dollar commitment to Mm -hmm. the American Legion donation. And, um, in support of that next year in July, he's hosting a, um, a golf tournament, um, at this little golf course called Pebble Beach in California. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard of it. Um, yes. so it's going to be a fundraiser for, uh, in, and the proceeds for that will go to the American Legion. So we'll be working with him in that capacity. Um, uh, he believes in our mission. He believes in what we do and how we do it. So he's, he's been a Great. real advocate for, for what we're doing there.
0: Yeah, I've had lunch at Pebble Beach, but that's the extent of it. They won't let me any closer. I think I walked out on a green and that's about it. Uh, so one of the, the really fascinating things with this American Legion partnership is something I saw on social media. Uh, there, uh, I guess the race team, Chip Ganassi Racing has launched the 10 days of vets giving with the Legion where they reveal a new auction item every 10 days to help raise funds that will directly support veterans in need. And this kind of caught my eye because that's some of the business that I am now in as the chief revenue officer for a young driver. And we work with nonprofits as well. And I'm always trying to come up with unique auction items. And you guys have some really good ones. Tell me some of the highlights.
2: Kevin, it's such a, it's such a cool idea that the Ganassi group came to us with. And, um, you know, like you said, it's, uh, you know, that's again, going back to your initial question, what's the value of being in motorsports? This is a perfect example of some out of the box thinking. You know, it's not, you know, it's not just a logo on a car, as a lot of people like to say. Mm-hmm. This is how we take all of these resources and assets and drive, you know, uh, value to, uh, to their partners. So, uh over the next 10 days, um, um fans uh have the opportunity uh to uh go to go to um it's it's a that's giving auctions at givebutter.com, um uh, which is the uh the group that we're working with on that. And it's things like um, you know, you can tour the uh, Indianapolis shop with uh Chip Canassi, right? and can come to their shop and we'll give you a tour. Um you can take Scott Dixon to school if you want to do that, right? Uh you can <laughs> bid on a tour of the IMS Museum. And get a workout with Marcus Erickson. Um, so, I mean, there's just some really, really cool stuff. And one of the, one of the most popular things we have going right now is, you know, a chance to, um, you know, sit in, in the pit stand, you know, with one of the team, yeah. Ganassi teams, um, during a race and really talk about get behind the scenes and watch how this all comes together. That's, uh, if you've never done that, that's an incredible, incredible
0: experience. So how is Dixon at calculus? Can I send him to college with my son and, and get a little help there?
2: Yeah. Um Probably you know, not. <laughs> I, I would imagine he's pretty good. Uh I was imagining if he, if he doesn't know the answer to the question, he'll get you the answer to the question. How about
0: that? Maybe I'll take his one of his engineers. Maybe I'll get yeah. one of those guys to come in and help with that. Givebutter.com. Wow. I just type that up, and it comes right up with the 10 days of vets given with the American Legion. Uh, Dean Kessel is the chief marketing officer with the American Legion. Thanks for your support for the team and for IndyCar. It uh, it all is greatly appreciated, and we'll see you at the racetrack soon.
2: Kevin, thank you so much. Appreciate your time today. Appreciate everything you do to help us. You know, with your your duties at NBC and. And, and getting word out about um, uh, our mission to, to help others. us. Happy that to much. help.
0: We all all use the platform however we can. Dean Kessel, uh, coming up in a moment. Holiday season is here. Got some book ideas that uh, might be interested for the motorsports fan that we'll share, and more still to come. Trackside, 93.5, 5, 107.5 The Fan.
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
0: Thanks for staying with us as Trackside continues on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan as we get closer to the holidays it's time to come up with some different gift ideas and and every once in a while i see uh, things on social media people asking for hey what are some racing related or car related uh books for gifts so we're gonna throw out a few and what i really also want is you to send along via twitter at kevin lee 23 what i'm missing and we'll, we'll go over some more of those Next week, for example, uh next week, I think Paul Page is going to come on the show. I traded emails with him a couple of weeks ago, and I believe his book, Hello, I'm Paul Page, it's race day in Indianapolis, is going to be out in publication again, or maybe it's already out and available. So we'll talk to Paul about that next week as well. So here's the list as I just kind of looked around my office at some of the ones that I've read that I really liked. Beast by Jade Gers. Also, Jade's uh, book on Allinger Jr. in the last couple of years was really compelling, a bit shocking, fascinating, uh, but it it's well worth the read. You know, of course, there's the old standard, Donald Davidson, Rick Schaefer's auto course, official history, of the Indianapolis 500 hardcover book. If you can find a copy of that, sometimes those go for several hundred, if not over a thousand dollars on eBay and such. But that's a classic. Rick wrote another book, Rick Schaefer. A couple of years ago, it's called On the Indy 500, 500 on the Indy 500, tales, facts and figures. Nice short read, just little nuggets and notes that Rick put together. I loved Rapid Response by Steve Olvey. Uh, he, he's one of the guys that saved Zanardi and was one of the leading, uh, medical people, doctors in, in motorsport and in IndyCar was very much at the forefront of that back in the, uh, the eighties and the nineties. Black Noon by Art Garner is not as dark as what people would say. Yes, it's dealing with the tragedy in in nineteen sixty four, but it's a really fascinating read on the sport and everything along with that. David Malsher's book on willpower I greatly enjoyed. Uh, Dave Argobright and Chris Economaki's book, really, really Chris's bio. Let them all go. I enjoyed John Orvitt's recent book, Indie Split. So there's just the ones that I came up with. I know I'm missing a lot more. Our next guest will probably have some ideas as well. He is a longtime public relations and marketing executive in uh, motorsports, including time as a VP at IMS. And he also worked on the corporate side with brands like Nortel when they finished 1-2 in the Indy 500 in 1997 with Ari and Scott Goodyear. And he's also considered by many to be the authority on turn of the 20th century motor racing. Mark Dill joins us on the program again. Hello, Mark. How are you? I'm doing
5: great, Kevin. And thank you so much for having me on. This is my favorite subject.
0: So we're going to talk about your book in a moment, but uh, I'm sure you have some favorites as well. What did I leave out? What do people need to look up uh, other than your books for their Christmas shopping list?
5: I uh, always hate going after a guy that is pretty knowledgeable and he picks out a lot of the good ones. But um, I uh, would also and I forgive me, I can't remember the author, but there was a book called The Limit and uh, it was very compelling. And it was the story of the 1961 Formula One season when Phil Hill became champion Mm. Jimmy Clark was just getting started, and he and another driver who was actually leading the championship had a horrible accident in Italy, uh, involving spectator deaths and so forth. But again, like Black Noon, that it's not as gruesome. It was a wonderful insight to some of the characters that I heard about, you know, growing up. There's also a friend of mine uh, produced a book that's um, a really Good read if you want to know about the cars of earlier days and it's called classic speedster speedsters the cars the times and the characters who drove them i i highly recommend that book um it's a little more academic than mine but uh that's all fine too because i've learned a lot from those kinds of books
0: Okay, let's talk about your book now. And, and this is really a, a new version of the same book, and we're gonna have you explain. So first, I know you were on the show a couple of years ago. I think Kurt did that interview. I think we might have split the show yeah, at that did. point. So uh you can explain some things to me as well. But the legend of the F- first super speedway is the original book, and now there's a children's version. So let's just go to the premise of of the adult version that you put out, well, two, three years ago.
5: Okay. Yeah, it was a couple of years ago. Um that book came from my soul and I you may or may not be familiar with my website which is free uh called firstsuperspeedway.com and it is a treasure trove of in period media reports about racing prior to 1920. And I focus on that era there's something about it that in general tugs at my heart but also I want to tell the story of these entrepreneurs that, I mean, we're still standing on their shoulders. These guys came up with the name of the game. Uh, you know, a lot of the customs and so forth were derived from their uh, really early work. And another thing that was going on in that time period, and I, I I hope I don't sound immodest, I think I'm the only guy that's really connected all the docs Um. That tells the story, and that's what the subtitle is about: the battle for the soul of uh, American auto racing. That um, there, there, it was not unlike IRL and CART, and uh, there was it was a culture war too, kind of a red state blue state thing. But in the Northeast, there were people like William K Vanderbilt who were very Eurocentric. And they had Mercedes, and they had Fiat, and Dirac, and Panhard, all these cars from Europe, which were frankly better technology than what we had here. And uh, then you had the guys out in the West, and Indiana, and Ohio, and and Michigan, believe it or not, back then was the West. And these guys were derisively, it was not a compliment, to be called a Westerner, and Um, They were using dirt horse tracks because they didn't have any roads. And uh, these are guys that are very familiar to your, um, you know, your listeners, Uh, Carl Fisher, right among them. But all the founders of the Speedway were involved with that. And then there's this character that I think people still are aware of that um, had achieved legendary status. His name was Barney Oldfield. Mm-hmm. and so it's basically the story of how they created oval track racing and the the struggle between the the yin and the yang uh between road racing and oval track racing and um i just love it so i'm really proud of it i wrote it as a novel uh but it's historically accurate uh i, I I didn't want to compromise on the history. It was more of the style in delivering it.
0: Was there a battle over what was going to be the first super speedway where there was there competition? Now, I know there was another super speedway. What, what is it called? Brooklyn's.
5: Yeah, in, there was Brooklyn the
0: UK. But was there other were there other options for a super speedway in the United States in the early 1900s?
5: Yeah, well, thank you. That's a great question. Um, Yeah, I mean, um, the first board track in a little north of L.A. at Playa del Rey uh, came on the scene, and for a while, they had the world's close-circuit mile run. Um, And then also at Atlanta, not the Atlanta Speedway we know of today, but uh, they had a... um, I think a two mile uh, dirt oval mm. and uh, they, and that was started by the founders of the Coca-Cola company and uh, a lot of money behind it. And they, they all were focused on who has the fastest track. So, um, and it was a little peculiar, but they would do things like the fastest mile on a closed circuit. So, uh, the challenge at the speedway, I think the straightaways are five eighths of a mile. The challenge at the speedway was to leave your foot into it, charging in to turn one, which was obviously hugely dangerous. So you could cover the mile distance and, um, it, uh, the culmination, Spoiler alert is uh, that the mile record is finally set at the speedway, but not before it was set at some of these other places. And uh, boy, Carl Fisher was really frustrated until uh, Barney did that.
0: Was there other racing on these ovals or was Indianapolis the first big circle track that had competition?
5: Yeah. I mean, there were other, yeah. Uh, I'm, the two I mentioned, Atlanta and Playa del Rey, um, yeah very much so and then throughout all the um west western side, half of the united states um again the dirt horse tracks were used so they would have sprint races and of uh, you know 5 10 miles and they'd mm-hmm. put on a card so a lot of those short tracks they didn't try to run um a you know, a full-blown race, a couple hundred miles or whatever, Um, they would run a series of sprint races, and people were fascinated. I mean, culturally, racing was much bigger back then, culturally, uh, because it was so fascinating and amazing. And, you know, Barney Oldfield doing his um, barnstorming tours he was famous for, he was playing before people in remote rural areas – that had never seen a race, never seen any kind of car before.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
5: if you can imagine uh, how fascinating that had to be for them.
0: And at IMS, and Mark Dill is joining us, we're talking about his book, The Legend of the First Super Speedway," and just talking about this, that, and the other. Uh, At IMS in 1909, 1910, that's what it was as well, short races, a program, and so forth. And then Fisher had the idea for a long, all-day race. Once that started... Did other tracks try to copy that format? Or so I guess my question is, how long was this unique to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway that they had the big long race?
5: Yeah, well, I mean, let me start by saying that really at the Speedway, they were running long races from the get go. And in fact, that's what got them in trouble when it was a dirt track at first before it was paved with brick. And Fisher kind of rushed the track. Into readiness He was trying to recover his investment And it was a mistake And um, They ran What they called the Prestolite 300 So they planned it for 300 miles Well it had to be called Because um, There were several fatalities Including two spectators So they called it at like 235 miles I think Um, And then They paved it with brick be, to to make it safe safe and they were under pressure the lieutenant governor at the time was pushing the legislature to outlaw racing in indiana so they had to prove that they could do it safely and uh, so the first races on the bricks were in may uh, 1910 at this memorial day weekend and they ran a 250 miler and guess who won ray haroon Mm -hmm. so i kind of i ran this past donald davidson once i mean don't you almost think that ray is a two-time winner because that was the biggest race of the year but in in 1910 and uh but donald being the purest he was wouldn't allow that to be said but (laughs) but the um The truth is, I mean, Ray won a big race. Not only that, he did it in the Marmon Wasp. So the Marmon Wasp was a year old or over a year old when it won the Indy 500 the next
0: year. Mark Dill is joining us. His book is called The Legend uh, of the First Super Speedway. And now there is a children's edition. Tell me what's different about this and what what kind of uh, age group you're looking at.
5: Yeah, I try to write to a third grader level. And in fact, uh, but you can read to younger kids. In fact, I'm going tomorrow. uh, I was requested to go read to my uh, grandson's kindergarten class. I'm going to go over there and read the book to them. But um, so probably kids 8 to 12 would be uh, ones that could just sit down and read it. Um, And it's essentially the same story, but... In my adult version, I, um, you know, I have scenes that are adult themes, but nothing too outrageous, but it's not appropriate for kids. So I just told the essence of the story about Mm -hmm. Barney and Carl and the founders and the lead up to um, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And I I end that book just as I did the first one. I don't go into the first 500. I, that story's been told. But I think under-told is the uh, the events that led up to and the early races at the Speedway.
0: Where's the best place to find either book?
5: Well, the best place for me is That's if you good. go to markgdill.com. Okay. Uh, we've got them there, and you can get an autographed version. And the reason I say that is it's available at all major retailers. You know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart, uh, Blackwell's in England picks up my stuff, which I'm, Hmm. you know, honored. I I hadn't even heard of that place before, but uh, it's nice to know that you've got another, uh, you know, a bookstore in another country that's picked up on it. So if you're more comfortable with Amazon, go ahead and go for it. Um, If you want an autograph, come to markgdill.com.
0: And help out Mark, because I'm sure Mark gets a much better cut than he does off of the Amazon. Yeah, Amazon,
5: take, Amazon and all those guys take a big <laughs> yep. bite.
0: Mark, it's good to chat with you. Thank you so much. We look forward to everyone else sending in their uh, book ideas for the holidays to us as well for a next week's show. Good luck with the second version. We'll talk to you soon.
5: Okay, Kevin. I, and I'll throw in one more book I failed to mention. Uh, my good friends Ted Warner and Angela Savage wrote savage angel which is the story of Sweet savage oh nice and also his family and and what they dealt with after his passing so good i want to do a plug for them
0: uh we'll get into what we missed coming up next on trackside okay final segment uh check the twitter inbox from bill peterson He sent this in about the time the show started, so we did talk about it a little bit. But he said, hope you guys discuss the news about the engines. Hopefully can provide insight into whether or not Chevy forced IndyCar's hand. Honda was on track with their engine already and will run a version of it in IMSA, Bill writes. We didn't get into that specifically, and ultimately it would just be a guess. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say that Honda and Chevy have always had significant influence on what happens. Uh, If indeed, I I think you're right. And I haven't, as I said, I haven't followed this super closely. I probably should have been getting more excited about it, but I I don't. But I I do think Honda had been on track more. So maybe that's a consideration. I think there might have been some circumstances in other years where Honda had requests and that was acquiesced to. So I have no idea. I think there's a decent chance that both said this might be best for us. Uh it was going to be really, really expensive to do. And I, I think everyone was hoping there would be a third en- engine manufacturer to kind of share costs. The, the manufacturers already lose a little bit of money with each lease, and it sounds like they were going to lose even more per entry with this lease. So uh, likely a lot of reasons involved. A byproduct you know, one theory in why there uh, has been so much reluctance to add extra entries to the 500 is this engine was going to be obsolete, so don't, we don't want to rebuild a whole new kit. It's more to than that. It's about people and other things, but maybe, just maybe, this opens up something more. Wouldn't count on it, but it's a possibility. Uh, you know, we still never even got into managerial things like Taylor Kyle in the last couple of weeks being confirmed to Ganassi, Eraser.com racer.com report. Says that Pierre Phillips, their president, is leaving Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan. So we'll do that all next week on the show. Thanks to everybody for joining tonight. We'll see you next Tuesday night here on Trackside.
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.